Hey everyone, I'm Mark Talbot from 20 Foot Radius. And I'm Derek Myers from DungeonsMaster.com. I'm Craig Sutherland, and you're listening to Recounting Encounters, a D&D Adventures League podcast. A show where we talk about D&D encounters, D&D expeditions, D&D epics, and exploits from our D&D home games. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's talk session of Recounting Encounters. Derek and Craig join us tonight. Uh, we're going to start off the evening. Craig, you're just going to talk to us a little bit about uh, episode four in Horde of the Dragon Queen. I know you've been starting that. Uh, Derek, you're not caught up yet, but then after that we're going to get into some fun fun stuff, some you know tips and tools of the trade. We're all going to talk our little bits and just go from there. Absolutely. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, you know, it's a few weeks have gone by since we did our last sort of story talk about uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and quite frankly, my group is not really too far into the fourth. Like we've we've spent a few sessions here, but haven't done a whole heck of a lot. Uh, now I know Derek. I know you're you're up to date on it. Mark. Have you read any of the the fourth episode? Like, do you know generally what the what the I generally know what's is? going on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just curious. Uh, so basically, uh, you know. The first session that we had in that, uh, one of the things that I found that I, you know, uh, that I ended up with, with a, a, you know, a bunch of players that had been there since like day one of episode one, and then some other characters who had jumped in partway through, uh, and most recently like a couple level two characters. So uh, just knowing that by the by the time we reach the end of episode four, we're gonna have to get into episode five, and you know the characters should be level five by then. So thankfully they have that. Um, that downtime day thingy where you get to uh, catching up. That's what it's the downtime uh, activity. Yep. So I figured, uh, you know, th- basically after the end of episode three, when the when the players are through the cave, the the whole idea is that they go to, uh, and I believe the name of the city is El Torel, if yep. that's how it's pronounced. Okay, yeah. So uh, they go to El Torel. They meet up with a contact there, uh, and if. In my particular version of the game, uh, Leosin uh, the, uh, the <laughs> did not did not survive uh, his infiltration into the cult of the dragon. So uh, he was not there, but his his friend was. Uh, so we basically role played. Or, I mean, so we we sort of did the, the journey there, and I decided to to throw in some encounters just to like get some uh, experience in there, and I, and I threw in some challenging ones with some pretty clear role-playing ways out of it so I, I could have a good way to give experience points to the characters and it wouldn't necessarily just have to be combat, 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 combat. So just for example, uh, one of the ones I just totally did off the top of my head was uh, was to do, and th- this is just a cop-out, but like, I, I totally, but it, it actually went over really well and, and it's uh, it's actually kind of stretched over into future sessions is, uh, you know, that, that fairy tale, oh, crap, I think it's the billy goats or something like that? Anyway, it's the th- people crossing the bridge and there's the troll under the bridge that Whatever wants to eat the goat, and they say, "Oh, the next one behind me is even bigger." Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, I do too. Sure. No, you're <laughs> clearly <laughs> making this up. Yeah, it just reminds me of Troll Hunt Wars of Fourth Edition. That's what it's that just reminds a, me. It was just a horrible repressed memory from my childhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought I would I would just just do some silly things like that just to sort of get everyone. Uh, lively about it right because immediately i was like oh there's a babbling brook and you're on your horses um but you know sorry, horse... sorry, Greg, let me interrupt you this is uh in terms of chronology of the story this is yeah. after episode three after they finish the uh the dungeon encounter the cavern encounter after they've destroyed did they destroy the dragon eggs with your group uh, no they oh that's right i forgot to, to say that part they did not want to destroy the dragon eggs they wanted to keep those those bad boys alive uh and they suggested that green s take take hold of them and uh, you know i had them green s uh, you know the guards because basically the, the green s guards came up from from there to help the characters when they were knocked out because they sent their messenger pigeon back okay. but uh, yeah, yeah I remember that uh, but um, uh, basically the the characters convinced them and said you know you should really try and keep them but they, they were the you know the, the guards and uh, Nightel governor Nightel is that was yeah. yep. was uh, was not so hot on the idea of, of keeping dragons but they convinced them to to consider it at least while they're gone um and we basically left it at, at that, but some of the players are really eager to know what happened. Did they end up keeping him? Like, what went on with that? So the characters did not destroy the dragon eggs. So I know that's, like, they've made it their thing. Like, I'm going to come back at some point to figure out, like, or to find out what happened there. Okay, so then this this traveling w- that you were just talking about before that was the, the yeah. ride from Greenest to El Turo. Yeah, no? so... 
yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's El Churro, yeah. and then they go to Baldur's Gate from El Churro. Is that that's that's exactly sequence right? Sequence of events. Okay. Yep, exactly. So basically, they're told to meet up with a with a contact in El Churro. It's supposed to be done through Leosin, but when Leosin was there, like he had some of his friends with him earlier. So I just said, hey, those guys like Jerry or whatever his name was. <laughs> I just made yeah, I can't think of his name. They give you his name. It's, I want to say yeah. it's like. Mansick or something, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, you keep whatever. going. I'll look for it. Yeah. So I, yeah, basically, like Nest, that, here it is. That, Nest them. That's it. Th- okay, there we go. And th- he's the guy who, uh, who basically stepped in as the new Leosin contact, right? And they, they also decided, you know, we want to bring the body of Leosin back and apologize for what happened because it was because we didn't try and force <laughs> him. We just left him to die. It <laughs> <laughs> was a good one. But anyhow, uh, so uh, yeah, they were said. That, they were told because of all the work that they've done and all the information they've uncovered, uh, they would be instrumental in the next sort of uh, steps. And uh, they were their presence was requested in El Terrell, uh by the Palace or Palace and Paladin, uh, whatever his name was, Anthar Froom, I think. Oh, the uh, the Order of the Fist guy. Yeah, that's right. That's the one. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's so really the first session was just the journey there, and I we just did a bunch of different sort of encounters on the way and again that was this is just like a paragraph in the adventure and it was just my way of giving them some experience basically to uh to bring them closer to a higher level i my goal is to have the other characters at level four so they can play catch up by the time that uh that we get there or to the end of the the fifth uh or sorry to the end of the fourth adventure Let me ask you then, the way the module is written, the way the module is set up, Mm -hmm. your characters are not supposed to be able to level until the end of the episode. Right. But I know you've got a couple guys who are more than one level behind. Are you allowing them? Because clearly in the story, many days are passing between each week at the game store. Are you allowing them to actually level up if they have the appropriate XP? Yeah. In this case, I am. And the main reason I'm doing that is uh, during the actual... You know the officially sanctioned encounters part. They do have max XP is this, max XP is that for whatever episode. In this case, the, they have not given any hard guidelines. So I'm my assumption is that there's not intended to be at that point because it's no longer really considered encounters. It's considered casual play, I believe, is what it's logged as, right? Yeah, but I, I thought I remembered seeing somewhere that the XP limits were still in place. Maybe it was just on the forum someone had suggested it, but. Oh well, am I? Oh being... no, you know where it was. It was in the, in and it wasn't for this. You're you're absolutely correct. It was yeah. the PDF version of the encounters mod that was given to the stores for public play. Right. That had the levels one, two, or the episodes one, two, and three. It was in the sidebars that were added to okay. yeah, yeah. the to the public play version of the module. That's where it talked about XP limits, and that's why the, the those limits aren't in the print mod because the print mod so... is use what you want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And and what what I've done instead is uh, I've basically said for for episode four, once you get to level five or or enough to get to level five, you cannot progress any further than that within level four. That makes sense. So basically, right. hold one XP behind until the end of the chapter, and then pretty bang, much you're level pretty five. much. Except yeah. the uh, the guys who are level two, I'm not going to say, oh, you can only have X amount, and then like, oh, that only gives me to like level three, right? Like I'm 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 allowing them to get they can get as much as they can up to a maximum of like. You know, one hit point, or sorry, one XP behind level five. Yeah. Uh, so, in in you know, in that way, because I know each episode was meant to correspond with the level. So, in that way, it sort of keeps everyone on uh, even keel there. Uh, but it's just not as quite as stiff a, a guideline as as it was during encounters. So, I think it should work out. Yep. But anyhow, so yeah, we did a couple of those encounters. So they had this this fun little uh, troll encounter, and um, they ended up role playing quite a bit with it. And, and you know, they wanted to they. One of them wanted to convince it that its mother was very mad at it, and uh, so they had this big long uh, role play session that eventually they they angered it when they were ju- they just got really ridiculous. You know, honestly, it's been a couple weeks; I can't even really remember all the details. But they 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 just kept trying to goad it on with all these like really ridiculous uh, ridiculous lies, and eventually it, it caught on to what they were doing, and it, it did end up in a combat. Now they didn't in character; they did not know it was a troll, and actually, I don't think. Uh, the players were uh, quite aware it was a draw. Like I, I sort of visually described it, but I don't think they're fully aware w- what it was. And it just so happened that one of the attacks, one of the last attacks it got hit with was dealt fire damage. So when it dropped to zero, it was dead, right? So they never really fully knew. Uh, but they decided uh, you know, that it, it was a lot of fun, and they had a good laugh about it. So I, I've been sort of subtly dropping hints since then that uh, that this mother troll has been tailing them ever since. 
And oh, okay. Yeah. I heard you talking about that. Yeah. I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, so it's just it's just always just like oh, you hear like a what sounds to be like a sorrowful moan on the wind, and the and you know like in the dead of night they're they're doing perception checks to see if they can hear anything going on out there. And like oh, you don't really hear anything except for like some sort of bestial sorrowful moan on the wind. Uh, sounds like it's coming from the distance. Like oh, I bet that's the mother. So <laughs> it's just been kind of an ongoing thing. Bay- uh, but- Beowulf, the RPG. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. we we ended up doing um you know, they got to uh Eltrel, they had a little contest where, you know, they they met up with, with the, the paladin and he was Jovia, he didn't really want to talk too much business with them. He wanted them to just enjoy that like he recognized that they did a lot of stuff and uh and and was helpful to the cause and, and wanted them to to just kick back and relax for a little bit, felt that they deserved it. But really what he was doing was he was also sort of judging their character just to see how they were outside of this type of desperate situation, uh, and uh, gl- you know, thankfully that they did they did rather well. They had a, a sort of a a friendly um, little face off with a couple of other NPCs, where we made this like rule of the game was to to hit the other guy. If you hit the guy twice and it was like non lethal hits, then you were out basically, right? And I had one of the NPCs be a sore loser about it, and then lunge at, at one of the one of the PCs after he got. Put out, but he like attacked with his his edged weapon, uh, but the characters remained like, hey, you know that's not cool. Uh, they didn't like retaliate with violence or anything. They they really just talked him down and took the high road. So that was like that was enough to sort of prove their worth to to him. And then the next day it was all business. Like, listen, this is what we're doing. The the cult is blending in with uh, with the caravans of merchants going north to Baldur's Gate. We think da 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 da, and uh, he's basically sent them. On their way to Baldur's Gate to infiltrate the uh, the caravan. Well, of I, th- I think we should talk a second because I love the, I love that part in the module where, you know, it, everything's all serious. These are the NPCs mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But yet, yeah. when you're in El Turo, they talk about Froom's company and it says characters are guaranteed to have a good time in Froom's yeah. company, provided they consider continual drinking, arm wrestling, horseback yeah. riding contests, sparring, and weapon training to be a good time. I find that's kind of such an odd line in there. But it's 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 so much fun. So, but, you know, What's you that? know, be, it, because of that line specifically, I actually put a lot of focus on that. Like we, they they did arm wrestling contests. That, you know, I I actually stole a couple of ideas too from um, that one previous season. I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was called the Chaos. Yeah, where they had. I, the, I know the exactly which games. one you mean. Yeah. yeah. We yep. did a dart thing, and like so, they did all that, and they even they even had like a sparring match, but it was with the sort of dummy weapons, and a couple of the characters were like, "Hey, can we use real weapons?" But just using sort of the flat of our blades, and you know, and uh, the paladin was like, "Oh, hey, well, you know what? You know, out back we we sometimes do sort of a, a more sort of a thrill-seeking version of it, uh, and it's it's a real test of your not only your 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 strength, but also your character to be able to resist the urge to use your weapon uh, in that way, right? So weapons tag, yeah, right. And they had like drinking contests, and all this stuff. So it, it, like we spent a lot of time with that, and, and it was a lot of fun. But then it was like, yeah, the next morning you describe him, he's he's got a very serious uh, stoic look, and they get right into it. Uh, and of course, the the first thing that I had them bring up was Leosin did not make it. And this is what happened. You guys were there, and you didn't stop it. They they wanted to talk it through, basically, because the uh, Leosin's buddy, whose name again escapes me, uh, was also present. Nassim, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And then they, that way they were able to sort of, through that conversation, they were able to tease out what information that they were able to uncover about the cult, and then I just sort of transitioned into, uh, okay, so this is what the cult is doing. Uh, you guys are basically the only ones who have been in that camp that have seen their face that would be able to do this. You know, we need you to to join us in this endeavor. And then, you know, we the the big reveal that that Leo Sim was actually a, a, an agent in the Harpers, and that uh, that the factions were coming com- coming into play, and a lot of the characters were like, oh wow, like. I'm, I'm part of this this faction. This is crazy. This is important to me now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it took no convincing at all. They're absolutely willing to do it. Uh, and the fact that they get to keep their their horses, which they were provided like earlier on, was uh, just a bonus on top of it. So, uh, just to keep it kind of uh, uh, to the point, they basically ended up getting a, a chartered passage directly to Baldur's Gate. Were able to outpace. Uh, the cultists by roughly a couple of weeks. The cultists are blending with a caravan that's taking the tradeway, I guess, and it's, it, it takes a lot longer that way, but they're blended in with the uh, you know, with the general public. So, 
uh, once uh, they got into Baldur's Gate. Now, this is this is where it's a great idea if you're a, pre a previous DM. So I don't know, Mark or uh, Derek, if you guys thought of this too. But uh, if you were previously a DM for Murder in Baldur's Gate, you would have yourself a wonderful copy of the campaign setting for Baldur's Gate, as well as a wonderful uh, Dungeon Master screen that has the outlying uh, area of Baldur's Gate. So if you're planning on spending any time in Baldur's Gate, this comes into into play uh, quite naturally. And I mean, even in in the Horde of the Dragon Queen adventure, references like Outer City and like it references a lot of the the districts and stuff that we dealt a lot with in that season. So, if you're looking to sort of beef out your role playing in that area, especially for players who might have played there before, would, who would appreciate kind of seeing this stuff again from a different character's uh, perspective, uh, I highly recommend making use of those materials. So, for sure. Yeah, exactly. A little more value to uh, to having those materials from before, right? And if I if I remember correctly, the if you didn't get the actual hard hard well, it wasn't hardcover, but the softcover books, they are available from PDF on uh, RPG now. Yeah, and they're a lot cheaper now, aren't they? I would suspect they are. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. And if you do have the hardcover book, like you'll have the Dungeon Master screen, I would say bring that one in that day that if you're planning on doing anything there, just so hey, like hey, here's what the city is, so you have an idea of it for players who maybe didn't play it before or whatever. It just adds that much more pizzazz to the presentation. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, eventually the cult shows up, and you know, my my characters wanted to sort of play around the city and see what kind of things they could buy. They are finally around a place that had a lot of things that they could buy because it's this bustling metropolis kind of place um but eventually yeah, it was time to move on they finally found that the cult uh had finally arrived and, and the cult had sort of joined up with this other group of uh, merchants uh now the players were of course able to recognize the cult of course they blended in quite well with the with the uh with the general public so they were able to um basically uh, get themselves hired on as guards uh for the most part generally i think it, now derek you played at one of my, at my table just uh just most recent game and uh i know you and, and we had another player too who uh who wasn't part of the, the group before and it was actually a good good timing for you guys to jump in because we were just sort of at that point where everyone was joining up with the caravan so it just made sense that that you were able to to join in and actually uh your character had actually played with one of the previous characters from gen con so those yeah. characters had recognized each other yeah, it, it helped from, from the story. It wasn't your typical, here's a complete stranger that you immediately trust and reveal all your secrets to. Which, yeah. you know, for, for the sake of simplicity, that often is what ends up happening. But it was nice to actually, for for once, to have the opportunity to, to say, well, in character, these, these two PCs know each other. And so I was like, oh, okay, that was nice. So I don't want to get, go too much into detail about the the caravan ride, especially for people who are are going through. But basically, the way it's structured is that there's some random events. It's a roughly a two month journey for the the characters in in game, and uh, it, there's some random events that they can run into on their way, and then there's some planned events that have to happen at some point uh, but they do give you a, a wide array of random events and there's some very creative ones I think and uh, some colorful personalities that they suggest uh, might be riding with the uh, with the caravan, I know I definitely used a couple of them in our session thus far we've only done one session where some of the random events have, have come up uh, so they're they're you know they're several days out of Baldur's Gate now on this caravan trip, uh, and yeah, it's 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 been interesting anyway to to say the least. Uh, so I'm curious to see it. Like I expect we'll probably have a one or two more sessions in this episode, uh, just going through some of the the more interesting random. I mean the random ones you can either roll on the table for or you can just pick the ones you like the best, uh, and you can use pretty much as many or as little as you want. The only thing is there's some planned ones that have to happen. So yeah, we'll see how it goes from there. So from that, that's sort of a little good little segue from where I wanted to talk about is, so with my my group that we were playing with at the game store, uh, some of those players decided they wanted to keep playing through episode four, five, six, as time permitted. Personally, I was done with it. I didn't want to be the DM anymore, and someone else was, was willing to step up. I also wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity for new players coming to the store to be able to play in level one adventures and not have to jump in and feel completely out of place with a group that's been running for three months consecutively. So Exactly. For the previous few weeks, I've been running the uh, Defiance and Flan mini modules, and actually one week uh, I wanted to play, so one of the other uh, guys stepped up to DM, and we did one of the other expeditions. The the title eludes me. It's the one with the the elves, the forest one. Oh, uh, trees. tales trees tell. 
tales, trees tell. Yeah, I and, always get that one mixed up too. <laughs> yeah, it, it was decent enough. I, I'm looking forward to potentially running it again. Our, the DM we had did a really good job, but the challenge, the biggest challenge, was trying to jam that whole module into what ended up being a three-hour slot, which is sort of the maximum time allowance we have at the store uh, during the week when we play. Normally with the expeditions, we we play, we get a four or five-hour slot, we do them on the weekends, but during the week it was it was tough. So that's why I thought the Defiance and Flan were uh, were good uh, little add-ons because they're usually about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how big your group is. Um, this week, unfortunately, as uh, we get closer to the holidays, uh, we, we didn't have the attendance that we've been having, so myself and one of the other players joined Craig's table. But uh, the question I had for you, Craig, was I've been reading online uh, to see how some of the other uh, people are pro- progressing with Episode 4 and Episode 5 since I'm not playing it right away. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading a lot of negative feedback from DMs and players that are complaining that not a lot of stuff is happening that contributes to the larger story. And a number of DMs basically said they decided to just spend a week essentially recapping for their group. This is what's going to happen through episodes four and five. What do you think your characters would have done? And then they're moving either right to the beginning of episode five or right to the beginning of episode six and then just arbitrarily handing out XP because, again, it's now considered home play so they can bend the rules a little bit. Um, I don't know if you've read ahead that much, but what do you think? Compared to what we've seen and compared to what we're going to see towards the end of the mod, do you think that's a true statement? Do you think that episode four and five feel more like filler? Well, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for, right? I mean, I can see why someone might think that. But at the same time, I think it's it's more of a, a fact that this is an adventure path kind of idea. This is a continuing story over 15 levels. And it's it, some of it is it feels more like a slow burn thing. It's they're, they're not just getting right to the point, right? It's not like, all right, episode one. Greenest and Flames, episode two, going to the Dragon Well and stopping Tiamat. Like, it, you know, we're yeah. not going right to the big fireworks at the end. We're building up to something. And personally, I'm a big fan of that kind of storytelling. I'll give you a good example in terms of movies. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Exorcist. Uh, I love how they slowly build up the atmosphere of that movie from the beginning, from these sort of casual little occurrences, and then eventually it's just sort of this out-of-hand like weird situation, uh, but it's a it's a long movie and it's 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 kind of a slow burn effect in in the way everything kind of ramps up out of nowhere. And it, I mean, obviously, that's not the exact same idea here, but to a certain extent, you have this kind of slow burn effect of uh, of the cult sort of making their progress, and and you know, not too many people are fully onto what's going on. Like you're part of the movement that's trying to resist them and to, trying to find out so like what exactly is going on. So. I guess I can understand why some people for it, that just might not appeal to some people, uh, but in terms of um, like if you're running public play, I, I would not. If I was a player myself, I would not be particularly fond if I came in one day and they said, "Okay, here's what happens: episode four or five, we're just skipping to six. Well, the, well the, the thing is, Derek, what comments are you reading? Are you reading people that are doing home games, or are you doing are reading people that are doing gaming store like sessions? Uh, a little bit of both. Mostly, it's game stores uh, because it's. Like once you move into episode four and beyond, it's not technically encounters anymore. So a lot of groups are playing it fast and loose with uh, with what they want to do because you know at the end of the day they want to make sure everyone's having having fun and having a good time. And I, I think some of the people um, are being quite vocal about the fact that the players show up and they're there for a couple hours and they just they don't feel like they're really getting their money's worth. Not they're paying, but you know what I mean? You're not getting your money's worth this week because it's just a, a little bit of a talky-talky, especially for people who want to show up and kill monsters from time to time. Right. So I think, But I think part of it stems from people looking at the calendar and saying, well, if the new encounter season begins, let's say, early March, I think you know that's sort of the time frame they're looking at. They're counting backwards saying, if we want to finish the first module, the, the Horde of the Dragon Queen, the whole book... We're going to have to cut stuff out because there's just not enough time. And and I think maybe that's where some of it's coming from is when you look at it that way, let's cut out all of chapter – or episode four. Let's cut out some of episode five and let's get to the, quote, good stuff faster. More importantly, let's get far enough that we're actually going to have a conclusion before we go back to level one with new characters next season. Yep. So, I mean, I, I, go ahead, Mark. Well, I was just going to say that reading – episode four or five and then going into six where six is more kind of like a dungeon crawl type thing um four and five is more 
and I think that it was with the intention of mind where you have a lot of time. For example, people getting together for six or seven hours at a time. You fart around and do because the NPCs are filled out. They have NPCs for the all these towns, and they have you know they they have a good build built-in uh, town for for them to explore and maybe settle in and get used to. So I think it's more geared towards a home game setting. And I think you're absolutely right where people that are playing encounters or they're going to the game store and are on a specific time need to cut some of those parts out. And I I don't think it's anything to complain about. I just think that it's a question of time and i think it's a question of where you're playing i think that's all it is the story is great yeah it's just time and who you're with yeah and i think craig correct me if I'm wrong i think we're even seeing this at our game store because there's still if i remember correctly we've got three tables playing on our normal night and we've got one table that's moved to a different night and from the sounds of it the tables are moving at very different paces yeah uh, and obviously like yours is definitely the slowest table but again, as you mentioned, I know that you're you're good on pacing, and the players that you play with often want to do a lot more of that ex- role playing and character development. Whereas I know some of the character, some of the players at some of the other groups, they're really more combat heavy. They got characters that can yeah. kick ass. They want to fight monsters. They don't mind a few skill checks, but they don't want to spend a whole night just role playing it out and making charisma checks. Like these are guys that take charisma and wisdom and intelligence as the dump stats wherever they can. Yeah. They just want to, you know, point me to the monster and let me hit it. Just want to roll yeah. dice. Like they want to yeah. roll damage dice. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone everyone has their preferences to how they want to play, and you know, it's uh, it's uh, absolutely a group decision, right? Like if you want to sort of fast pace it uh, and get in, and definitely you're bringing up the whole idea of the next you know, season in, in really, I mean, March or whatever, that's not too far away at this point. Um, you know, I mean, I can understand why I get done to me. The way I look at it for myself is that getting finished, uh, with, with Horde of the Dragon Queen is, is a possibility by that point. But, uh, but when you look at trying to squeeze and rise of Tiamat as well, that's, that's impossible. No nice. way to do it like that. Right. So, I don't know. For me, I'm I'm just sort of playing as as we go, and you know, once we get to the to the um, the next season, I'm, I'm really I'm I'm just totally playing by ear. <laughs> so yeah. so we were talking last what was it last week? Mm-hmm. Was it about the uh, my gaming table? Yeah. Yes. No, that was two weeks ago. No, no, it was last week. The yeah, it was kid. last. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, because this Monday. So I kind of feel bad because I found out. Uh, one of the guys, <laughs> one of the one of the guys from the table, actually decided to listen to this week's podcast. Oh man, and he uh, heard yeah. you call him out. I don't want to say any names, but a guy who's at my table, whose name sounds like, you know, it rhymes with this, uh, you know, who's playing the wizard named Steve. You know, but it's it's funny because none of the players did. The DM heard it, mm-hmm. um, listened to it, and and it was kind of funny. And and this is this is how the story goes. So we play the night, we finish out the combat session that we had started the, the prior week. And all of a sudden we do an extended rest, level up, do all the stuff that we have to do. And then all of a sudden there's a skill challenge to, to stop the ritual that had been activated or something along those lines. So we got our wires crossed in terms of communication on the size of the room and the hazards in the room. So my character is sitting back and not jumping in, afraid to get damaged. And this guy had built a skill challenge that wasn't even in the module around the fact that I like to role play and do certain things. So I felt bad. And then he's like, well, come on, do something. I said, I don't want to go in there and get attacked, right? I'm going to get hit every time. He says, well, you only have a percentage chance. I said, yeah, but I'm playing an evil character and doing whatever. And I said, so when I'm outside this area, I don't get attacked. He goes, this is after four rounds. All of a sudden he goes, you do get attacked. The tentacles in the room actually reach anywhere in the room. I'm like, really? I said, all right, so I jump in and then, you know, did something absolutely crazy. I killed one of our party members just to, you know, satisfy the ritual and necessity and everything. And it all turned out fine. And it was a great session. But, you know, there's that little confusion at the start. And he's, you see the frustration in his eyes like, <laughs> I did this for you. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I see that frustration in my wife's eyes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the, uh, but it ended up really good. The session ended up really good, and uh, he listened to the podcast. He says, "You know, I just don't want you to be too so distracted—not distracted, but you know, um, disappointed and you know, lacking D and D because D and D is supposed to be a fun." Night. I said, "Yeah, I really enjoy it." And then we talked about it for a bit, and it seems it's going to get resolved. That's good. Yeah. 
And so I, I think that's an important takeaway that maybe we didn't emphasize enough last week when we were talking about all the, the, the good, bad, and, and tips and stuff was if you've got a problem at the game table, uh, you really got to talk about it. Because if you don't say something, then, you know, the, the issue at hand may never get resolved because whatever the problems are, people may not realize it. And I know that for a lot of gamers that are shy or, you know, uh, that stereotypical gamer who's not a people person, it can be tough to, you know, you don't want to have that confrontation, but trust me, it's, it's better to have a five minute awkward conversation. And then every week after that is better than to keep coming week after week and just not be having as good a time as you could. Yeah. And I mean, I think the sign of a good DM too is, is if you bring a concern like that to the DM, that they want to work with you to make sure you're also having fun, right? That they're not gonna be like, what the heck? No way. Do you know what I mean? Like it's gonna, it's, it's a conversation. It's not a, uh, it's not an accusation, basically, right? Well, and even if it's an issue with other players, uh, sure. you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to the player directly, then, yeah, talk to the DM and just see. And, and I, I know I've had to do it on a few occasions where I've noticed there's been an issue, and I just bring it up to the whole table and go, okay, I'd like to just remind the group that, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And I try and do it in a general enough way that I, I'm not specifically calling out the one person, and I'm certainly not drawing attention to whoever it was that brought it up. Um, and I find that's often a, you know, it's, it's, it's a lead by example thing, especially if there's something that people are doing that doesn't, that, you know, is causing disruption, show them the right way to do it and then draw attention to that, that, you know, you know, it'd be great if everyone could do it like this, see how much more efficient it is, see how easier it is, whatever it happens to be. So anyway. Yeah. So anyway, so I just thought I'd share that story to, to the, uh, the listeners saying that, you know, myself putting it out there. I mean, I've spoken to the DM before about this, but he, I guess he didn't realize how much of a concern it was to me. And listening to the podcast just made him realize, you know, okay, well, it's something's, a little something's got to change just to, you know, satisfy everybody, which is great. Do you think he's going to listen this week? I hope so. Okay. Well, then I, I won't tell you what I really think about him. <laughs> I think he's oh, awesome. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Uh, Go ahead. So moving moving along, then we had we had said uh, before we started recording this that one of the things we wanted to talk about was um, being the DM for fifth edition and some of the some of the things that maybe have changed or some of the things that you need to be more aware of um, and sort of some tips or some ideas, some thoughts. So, Mark, I know this was sort of your uh, uh, topic of interest. How, uh, what sort of things would you like to talk about? Well, I'd just like to talk about different. I, I guess we could talk about first of all the differences. I mean, everybody's gotten since what 2008. Fourth edition has been out. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, since 2008, and fourth edition was revolutionary in its in its way of approaching Dungeons and Dragons. Now, everybody's gotten into a playstyle where you have the maps, you have all the minis. Everything's there for you. Your character sheet, character builder, everything. You've got your powers. You've got your certain set of actions and everything. And you're so used to a certain combat-heavy environment. And now all of a sudden they throw 5th edition, which is a, a mixture of all the editions, but more or less theater of the mind-heavy. Um, it's, it's, it's a heck of a transition for anybody that plays d and I mean, even myself, I kind of went, where's the map? Right, and I know you're big on maps, Derek. Also, and you know, I kind of go back. I think back to the, you know, back to the second edition days when I was doing that, and I'm going, you know, we had a lot of fun just role playing and doing absolutely anything we wanted to do without having to follow a specific set of rules. Now, not everybody's going to follow that, and once again, we were just talking about it earlier. How people are just like combat oriented, right? Some people are combat oriented. Craig, you're more role play oriented, which is fantastic, but fifth edition is not made to be like fourth edition at all it's made to be pretty much open for anything but i would say it's more of a theater of the mind you gotta you've got to expand your horizons you can't stick with just the you can't get maps for everything you can't do to me you can't do all that you've got to be a you've got to have more imagination you've got to build a story and i mean that's what D to me is all about so those that are playing fifth edition i guess the first point i'm trying to make is that you've got to get out of that MMORPG 4th edition mindset to be able to use 5th edition effectively. Good. Actually, that, that sort of overlaps with 
the first thing I, I had put down on my talking points was uh, tips for the DM for fifth edition. And I think this pretty much applies to all editions, but especially fifth edition is um, when you're running an adventure that's, say, a pre-printed module, whether it's an expeditions module that's sort of a one and done or whether it's Horde of the Dragon Queen that's a much longer campaign. Uh, for the DM, my, my advice would be know the broad strokes of the story. You don't have to have every single word memorized, but you should certainly know the high points of where the story is going and then not worry so much about following it word for word. And as, as Craig, you, you just described 20 minutes ago, uh, it, it, you know, in episode four, the journey from Greenest to El Churl, it's just a paragraph. It says that takes a week, the characters go. And you decided to, to go off book a bit and give them some, some, uh, you know, little mini encounters along the way. And, uh, likewise, if if the module does call for certain things and the players either find a creative way around it or decide they want to do something else, as the DM, don't freak out if, if they're going off script. Go with it. Let the players tell the story. Let the players sort of guide, the, guide it as much as they can. And, um, you know, as long as you know the broad strokes of, well, by the end of, you know, the next two sessions, they have to be in this town. How they get there isn't always that important as long as they're having fun. You know? Yeah. And, and often in those situations, if they do go off the beaten path like that, you might actually end up finding like a like oh hey this is going to link up really well with this plot point, so I can actually tie it back in, and it's like it's completely natural. Yeah, and if if you know, uh, again, you don't have to have the whole thing memorized, but if you know where it's going and you know the sort of the high points or the main encounters or uh, you know the main sort of plot points along the way, you can definitely work those in, and. Uh, you know, I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it. I like to encourage the rule of cool. Be creative. Be imaginative. If you think of something that sounds interesting, if you can think of something that you think, you know, my character would really want to do this given this circumstance, uh, as the DM, I encourage you to allow it as much as possible. And as the player, keep coming up with those ideas. Uh, but obviously, if, if the idea is completely wacky and the DM is trying to you know, mold it into something that's a little bit more manageable, like cut him some slack. Like he's trying to meet you halfway. Don't be a jerk about it and go, I absolutely want to do this. So, Yeah. That was the, I guess, one of the other points I wanted to bring up leading into that, funny enough. Um, you talked about the rule of cool. Um, there's nothing I think I dislike more than somebody who is a strict rules lawyer. Now, that's fine. You've got to follow the rules. There are certain established guidelines and everything like that that you have to follow, sure. But the thing is, is that when you're calling somebody on five feet extra after a jump or something like that, to me, that's kind of lame. I mean, the, the you know, uh, was it the rule of cool type thing? You've got to follow. You've got to follow that, and you can't be such a strict rules lawyer because most of this game is now theater of the mind so you've got to imagine that they're just racing across the battlefield but don't be a rules lawyer that's you know this whole thing that we've been talking about so much about the stealth check dm makes a call table makes a call follow the rule and that's it follow what was established at the table and that's it you don't have to go through the whole player's handbook dm's guide monster manual just to find something on stealth yeah yeah and if you have this encyclopedic knowledge of the rules, uh, I mean, it's fine to, to to have that in mind, but have the wisdom to know when when you can when it would be appropriate to maybe invoke the rules if if there's like a disagreement on something, you know, versus like like we're saying here the rule of cool, like you know, if something cool happens, the DM's allowed it, you know, maybe now's not the time to pipe up and say that actually that's five feet short of the landing spot. Kind of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know yep. if you guys want to add to that, but. The, the only other thing I, I want to add to that is uh, when the Dungeon Master's Guide, which has just come out, um, mm -hmm. you know, I got a copy a couple of days ahead of the release date uh, because they'd asked me to do a review of the book. So thank you, Wizards, for providing that. And for those who haven't read my review, visit DungeonsMasters.com. Plug, plug, plug. Um, but when I got the book, I tweeted it out. Hey, I've got the new DM's Guide. I've got my review up on day one. The book's out today. And I had a lot of tweets and emails from my from my group, from the people that play with me regularly. And they were like, what does it say about stealth? What does it say about... <laughs> and it was... They were asking about rules that are already covered in a player's handbook. And I said, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing in there about stealth. There's nothing in there. I can't remember what... There was two or three topics people were asking me about, and there were all things from the player's handbook. 
and there was absolutely no mention of them in the DM's guide. And I said, nothing's mentioned because they've already covered it. And they're like, oh, but it's not clear. Like, it is clear. It says it's up to the DM. That's as clear as it's going to get. Yeah. Well, because you know they're going to start modulating, aren't they? Fifth edition, they're going to start modulating fifth edition, like providing maps for, you know, the players who want maps and, you know, kind of story arcs for people that want story arcs, that kind of stuff. They're... Well, I, I know you don't have your DM's guide yet, Mark, because you're waiting. I don't know why you're waiting, but because <laughs> yeah. where you ordered it from hasn't shipped it yet. Uh, in the DM's guide, there are a number of optional rules. Uh, and I think this is sort of the modularity they were talking about. There is some advanced, I'm calling them advanced rules, because most mostly it's stuff from previous editions that is clearly outside of the base 5th edition mentality. And it, it does include things like playing on a grid, playing on a hex map, using things like flanking if your minis are on opposite sides. Like it's, it's incorporating some of those things from 3rd and 4th edition that had been stripped out of the basic 5th edition mentality. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there. And I, I suspect as as we start to see more uh, books come out for 5th edition, uh, we are going to see more of that. And maybe they'll pop it onto their website. They'll reinvigorate the D&D Insider and they'll start providing us with 5e, 5e content. That'd be cool. And maybe Aren't we'll they? see some Dungeon & Dragon uh, digital magazines return. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. But with all the great blogs out there, what are you going to get from a dungeon magazine, a drag magazine? You're not going to get online for free. Uh, from dungeonsmaster.com. Dungeons yeah. You got it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing I hate more than a DM who keeps plugging his website. 20footradius.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So those were the, the major points in terms of play style that I wanted to talk about. But uh, I don't know. Anybody have anything else in terms of play style? Well, maybe not in terms of playstyle, but um, maybe just uh, DMing. This goes for players as well, but but uh, certainly for DMs is sort of you know getting out of your sort of core assumptions from previous editions and, and speaking to like what Derek was saying about you know your players are asking about the hide rules or the stealth rules. Uh, you know they were they were probably used to the pre- a couple of the previous editions that had very clear, concise. This is exactly step for step how this works. Right, and the fifth edition doesn't really work that way. It's a lot more. Well, it's up to the DM in the end. So too bad. However you want to rule. Well, but yeah, but not not a too bad. Like, well, no, what, I, I don't mean too bad. Yeah. I I just meant as in like it is up to the DM. Like, a lot more sort of uh, powers given back to the DM in that particular regard. Right, like it it, it removes a lot of. Uh, well. It, the idea, I think, is that it removes a lot of the rules lawyer lawyery type of yeah. situations in those moments. The the people who would abuse the 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 totality of what used to be there. Yeah. Fourth edition, they wrote out what it did. Oh well, and then they put out an errata. Oh, and then they put out a supplement. And now you've got eight pages that describe in minute detail exactly how it works. And then someone says, "Well, you know what's not in there? This." And I'm going to start doing it that way because the rules don't say I can't. As opposed to the rules that say you can do this. So, like, I, that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about 5th edition, although it's making DMing frustrating in a public play because it's hard to get that consistency. But if it sounds reasonable to me, I'm going to allow it. Yeah. And uh, for the most part, that's been working really well uh, for those people who can get past the fact that it's not 4th edition anymore. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if you've been playing with a group for a long time in third or fourth or whatever, uh, there's definitely going to be sort of an adjustment period, you know, because although there's a lot of stuff that looks the same, but it actually kind of works a little different, you know, case in point being, uh, I use my action to dash, now my movement is twice my speed, as opposed to my action is to move and my movement is to move, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're yeah. not double moving, you're, yeah. you're, yeah. You're, it, mo- it, you're it, moving it, and dashing. Yes. Uh, again, it, it sometimes it's it sounds like semantics, and the end result is either the same or similar. But it's important in a lot of cases, especially with the newer players, to to get them into the habit of this is how this edition handles or at least calls these things. Yeah. So. Oh, by and the I way, think... the new books don't come out with silver spoons, guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the um, I, I think you know we talked about it during the play test as well that. You know, we wanted to use the language that they used, right? We didn't say double move. We said move, then hustle, hustle. which is what they called yeah. it at the time, right? Yeah. So it, it, the same thing goes for the concept of, of how these mechanics work. Although it, 
in effect, like if you just look at it sort of from a broad basis, it, you're doing the same thing as you did in the previous editions, but the mechanics of how you got there work differently, and so it's important to to be sort of cognizant of that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the one last thing on my list, and this is a DM tip that is applicable no matter what edition you're playing, no matter what game you're playing, but certainly applicable to Dungeons and Dragons, and I strongly recommend you do this if you're doing public play, is names. NPCs must have names. Even monstrous NPCs, if there's a chance they can interact with the players more than just swinging weapons at them, should have names. The reason is, important NPCs always have names. Mm-hmm. And if you're not so important, NPCs don't have D&D sounding names. The players immediately know this is not someone who's that important. And they either tune out or they decide to play silly or they kill them outright. And then when they do get a guy with a D&D sounding name, now they're suspicious. Now they're not taking them at their face value. This could be the villain. You know, there's a lot more follow-up question and a lot more effort put into it when they hear a D&D sounding name. <laughs> that's right. Or it's like, oh, and uh, you know, whatever the D and D sounding name says, this I'm gonna roll an insight check to see if yeah. he's lying to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, two guys in a bar walk up to you. What are their names? Uh, I don't know, uh, Mark and Derek. And they're like, okay, they're trying to, they're, they're, you know, they want you to come back to their house. There's something they need you to see. It's like, no. Whereas if it's like, you know, it's uh, it's Exultar. And, and all that's the way, Elk, all of a sudden, Elkintar steps out of the bushes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's it, you know what I've what I often do, and I gotta admit I'm a little guilty. I haven't been doing it lately, but what I often do with my home games is I have a giant list of just D and D sounding names, male names down one side, female names down the other side, and anytime I need a name, I just go to the next one on the list. I make a little note. Oh, this was a dwarf. This was an elf. This was the barkeep. This was the you know the troll wearing plate armor. Whatever it happened to be. And that way, you know, some of my players are really good about taking detailed notes. And then the next time they come back and they go, oh, I asked for so-and-so. Because in their mind, this is now an NPC that's that's a real character. They have a story. They have a name. Uh, you know, I have a list of names, but I always try and give the NPC some sort of memorable uh, character trait or affectation or, or something. Whether it's a limp or a funny hat or a, a speech impediment or, a, you know, uh, two different colored eyes, or, you know whatever I can just think of off the top of my head and it makes the character more memorable even if that NPC is only supposed to be a one and done you meet him, you talk to him, he gives you the the map to the place that you need to go and you're never coming back I guarantee you somewhere along the line someone will go hey whatever happened to that guy or if your players find themselves back in that area they're going to go look for him remember that guy who sold us the map with the funny tick let's go see if he's still around <laughs> it's like, oh my god, he was kidnapped. We have to find him. Well, I remember we played we played a long term campaign, like many years when I was in high school, where it took place in Waterdeep. We got the I had the Waterdeep in the North uh, module. It was one of the first Forgotten Realm uh, accessories they put out for I think it was Second Edition, AD and D Second Edition, and they had put out a box set called the City System, and it was ten poster maps that you could put together to make a gigantic poster of Waterdeep. And so I had this, I mean, I was super nerd. I had the whole 10 posters taped up to the wall and my characters, the guys in our party, we were playing, we were trying to set up a thieves guild. So every time they attacked a house, we put a little colored dot on the house, depending on whose idea it was to go there. And we had all these symbols, like it was this massive encounter. And I came up with all these crazy NPCs off the fly and I couldn't believe how much time and effort my guys took to writing down the names, remembering who they were, remembering, well, what building number was it where we met that guy? And was that a shop or was that a house? And often I would forget. They're like, we're going to this yeah. building to see so-and-so. And I'm thinking, who the hell is that guy? And they go, oh, you remember him? He was the guy with the peg leg. Oh, yeah, that guy. And I'm still thinking, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> and I let, and then they'll start going, yeah, you know. And, and then so I go, oh, you go in and he's not there. And I'm like, well, you know, oh, well, we're going to ask for him. Oh, I don't remember that guy. Who's he? And then in character, I have them describe him back to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, well, he comes out from behind the curtain. I was here all along. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. I love that. The reverse psychology at the player table. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was tons of fun. And. Yeah. You, just, you just keep like a little a little like palm-sized book behind the screen if you're using it and um, just write down little details when you pop out an NPC and if the characters start to sort of latch onto them 
just a couple just reminder notes that like a physical description like you said the two different colored eye peg leg or whatever or yeah. a personality quirk or whatever you know it's funny too because you can do that in uh like even in public play games right like you can like oh NPCs one says this to the characters so you can make that into a personality you can give them an you know a funny accent you give like a physical characteristic or or some sort of personality sort of a thing like maybe they don't Maybe, you know, one of the party members' presence doesn't sit well with them kind of thing. But um, it's funny if you do that kind of thing because if, if the groups get up and talk, they're like, oh, hey, yeah, no, we went to this end. Did you guys ever go there? Did you ever see this guy who did this? <laughs> yeah. They go, no, yeah. who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, we I, saw I can, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know for sure that you and I have done this, Craig, at the store where where I think it was the the uh, Frost Maiden module. What was that one where they were in the Tundra? The Legacy of the Crystal Shard? Crystal Shard, yeah, yeah. where we had both sort of flavored out some of the NPCs a little differently and when the two tables spoke to each other and they said did you go here yeah did you meet this guy no and then they're like he sounds cool <laughs> and I remember like my group's like well we want to go over here because apparently Craig's table found this guy and we want to talk to him and I'm thinking who the hell is that <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like oh and then I was like they actually met that guy but I had him I played him totally differently so the two tables when they spoke to each other, they never caught on that this was actually in the module the same guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun when that happens. Nice. Okay, uh, just quick final point, quick thoughts. Uh, we had spoken, you know, a little bit about DM stuff because you know we're gonna have to wrap it up shortly. We can continue to talk about this next week anyway. Um, but you mentioned something earlier about DM control. Now. Just a warning to DMs, those that want to DM now, the DMs have a lot more responsibility at the table. So you can't just kind of jump in. You've got your monster stat blocks and everything like that. It's really hard to jump in sometimes. So how do you guys feel about the the new control that Wizards has given the game to DMs in particular? Well, I'm a fan of uh, that. That's... I mean, I I really liked uh, how they've handled the previous editions as well that that haven't been so much like that. But I know like first edition and uh, you know second had a lot more. The DM sort of was the final the final word, the final arbiter of the uh, of what happens, right? Uh, and I think one of the big sort of indications that it was going this way was that magic items were now suddenly no longer a part of the player's handbook. For myself personally, I prefer it that way. And I don't know, maybe I guess it's because I, I've DM for a long time, but uh, fifth edition way or yeah, yeah, the fifth edition way. Okay. I, I think they find a good balance of like you still have a lot of player options with the player's handbook and, and things like that, but but a lot of the things that I feel should be more sort of in the DM's control, like the distribution of magic items and, and you know that kind of thing. But I, I think the way the language is is really like talk to your DM about this. Talk to so absolutely there is more responsibility for the DM puts more on the DM's plate, but I think that's just sort of a... To me, it's felt like that's always sort of been part and parcel of uh, being the DM. Yeah, if you put the control in... If you let if you let the one person control the game, and if everybody's in accordance, I find the game runs more smoothly. Mm -hmm. um, things are more um, standard. You don't get a lot of, well, we said this last week, we said that last week. Look, this guy said this, so let's do it that way from now on. I think there's more harmony at the table at the same time. Yeah, and I mean the imp the important thing is that the DM has to be the impartial judge, right? Like Correct. that that's the thing. If you have a DM who's who's going on some sort of megalomaniacal uh, megalomaniacal sort of power trip, and I mean, and I'm sure like that's sort of a stereotype, but you know <laughs> we that, have, we that have that some does of those. Exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does exist. So I mean, that's unfortunate, but I mean, you know. You could have that problem with with a player, with a DM, with whoever, right? But uh, but yeah, no, there, there, it, it does. I guess it, it would sort of raise the bar to entry to to DMing, I guess, for for someone who's sort of just walking into the hobby now. But at the same time, for me, I think there it also sparks your imagination too. That you're oh for sure yeah, like I I feel like it it brings more life to the role if that makes sense. Well, I have I have more fun with it because then the DM can get. The DM yourself, and that's why I say there's more responsibility, can become more creative. It is a little more bookkeeping, but you can become much more creative than what you read inside a module. That flavor text, that's mm -hmm. the only thing that the DM has kind of control over is to flesh out the characters. But the rest of the encounter is like put out in front of them, and not necessarily even 4th edition. 3rd edition was bad for that too. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just it gives you more control, gives you freedom, theater of mind, for you to make up what you want, when you want, and how you want. And I think that fleshes out and it just makes it that much more interesting for your players. 
Indeed. Dirk's so quiet. Oh, you guys are doing a good job covering it. Mm. Uh, the only thing I would add, sort of more, more of a tangent, is uh, when I'm DMing, I like to encourage a shared storytelling experience. Uh, I know that as the DM, I'll often try and just steamroll over details, but I, I'm certainly open to and try to encourage the players to help me flesh out a, a scenario. And um, very often... I'll ask the like the you know you describe the room that you, you're in a tavern and there's a few people around and people you know they'll ask me well is there a this and is there a that usually my answer is do you think there should be and then yes there is and uh, that that'll often work really well and with fifth edition I, I just find that the open endedness of the rules certainly lends itself more easily to that than say the fourth edition did um, and um, yeah. Uh, we had we had talked briefly earlier about monsters. Um, I think we actually were talking about that before we started the podcast. But with the fourth edition, every like characters had powers, monsters had powers, and the stat blocks for monsters were usually pretty in depth. Most of the monsters now, or at least the ones that I've seen at the low levels, it's they have one weapon or they have one main attack, and like that's it. Like they're super simple, so I can pretty much open up the monster manual to any page look at the monster and 10 seconds later have them ready to go in the encounter because I don't need hours to read over well what does this power do and how does this power work with this power and it so. gives you more time to flesh out even those char- those monsters to yeah on the on the spot yeah exactly well and, and often what I've done is uh, as the player characters is, have become more powerful uh, especially with the Horde of Dragon Queen they were fighting kobolds 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 and the kobolds had five hit points and they started to know that and I wanted to make the kobolds a little more powerful but I didn't want to just necessarily add numbers sometimes I would pull up another monster and just say okay I'm using this monster's stats and I was the kobold and you know with a few flavor adjustments you know suddenly that monster was a kobold easy enough to do yeah so cool. case yeah, with the whole short, shared storytelling, I mean, yeah, that completely goes into the, again, being sort of like you're there to to be the fair sort of adjudicator of, of, of the rules. And, uh, yeah, I mean, shared storytelling is always great. Whatever, and that gets people even more invested into it. So, Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I didn't mean to say that the DM controls the whole story. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, it, yeah. but the whole shared storytelling is actually quite important. But the thing is that you don't bench so much on the rules. You won't get some guy, well, well that guy can't have green skin because we're in a blue area. Yeah, you know, but yeah. and even with that shared storytelling, it's yeah. I mean, you do ultimately need someone that says yay or nay, right? Like someone who's there to say, uh, you know, like like you said, Derek. Like someone said, hey, would there be this? Well, do you think there should be yes? Well, then you, you know, you find that and you can sort of add to that. But then the same flip of the coin, where where you, you know, that can't at the same time be used sort of to gain a sort of an unfair advantage, right? The DM's there to say. Oh, you know that's not there or whatever. Like, oh, oh, I'm gonna turn around. And I bet there's a healing potion right here. Do you think so you should have a healing potion? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there isn't. <laughs> Actually, there's in one of the the things in the DM's guide. One of the modular options are plot points or uh, yes, they're yes, called. Like, yeah. And that's that's it. Sort of borrows from the declaration mechanic of the Dresden Files game, which is where I've really adopted this whole shared storytelling idea. Is um, you know, if you assume you give each character a plot point or a certain number of plot points, I mean points like literally like a one point, two point kind of thing. And then at certain points in the game, they can they can throw it out there and say, you know, what would be really useful here is a secret passageway. And I flip over, you know, you already described a giant rug. I push the rug aside and I think there should be a secret passage here. It's like, OK, well, I wasn't planning to put one there. But if you want to throw your plot point on the table, done. Secret passage. And uh, I, I really like that kind of add-on that they, again, we're talking, it's only two or two little paragraphs in the DM's guide, but they're acknowledging that some people want to have that power and, and the DMs want to have it spelled out in the rules that this is something they can do. So, yep. And I think even the, even the, like in the player's handbook, it supports that style of play with uh, the backgrounds, right? Where your features, yeah. like if you don't know where to find this, like you, your background feature might be, if you don't know where to find this bit of information, then you'll, or then you'll know how to, or sorry, if you don't know what, what the information is, you'll know how to find it. Right. And that's like, that's sort of a, that's kind of the same idea where it's like, well, your character doesn't necessarily know this, but you know, it's going to be at, uh, you know, at the libraries and candle keep or something like that. So, so for the DM, that's like, okay, well that, that, that sort of adds that new plot thing. It's like, okay guys, we got to turn around and go back to, to candle keep to, to like, there's a quest. No, when we get there, there's like this intrigue going on or whatever. Right. Yeah. You can also well, map like, out your downtime in, in, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. at table play. 
Yeah, and I mean, even this week, Craig, when I was running at your table and we were trying to figure out, well, how are these, in, how are the characters getting part of the caravan? Well, the character I was using, his background is a smuggler, so we just said, well, let's assume he's been in Baldur's Gate. The other player who I know, her character showed up. Hey, what's going on? We had our exchange of of ideas. I need to get to Waterdeep, and I found, you know, it's like, well, let's just assume that my smuggler character is transporting illicit cargo. And through his network of spies and contacts, he got a name and he's now on this caravan as a passenger. He's undercover because he's a smuggler. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. And yeah. it's like, perfect. I threw it out there. You're like, yep, let's do that. And it's like, okay, it made sense for the character. It made sense for the scenario. Um, and you just, you know, the player throws out an idea and the DM latches onto it and says, yep, that's that sounds completely reasonable. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. It and was nice to have more than just caravan guards on that one, too. Yeah, and it gives it, once again it can help out a DM. It's, it's it fleshes out an encounter that they may not have even fleshed out from the start. That's how I see yeah. it. Yeah, so like just like you can have rules lawyers, you can also I guess have story lawyers too, right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Fair enough. I don't think we're gonna do better than that. We should end on that note. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk next week, and uh, thanks everybody for joining. This is Recounting Encounters. We talk some DM tips in Horror of the Dragon Queen, Episode 4. So, until next week, have a blast. Indeed. You can follow me on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and be sure to visit DungeonsMaster.com for original D&D 4th Edition material, including a weekly field report of my D&D Encounters experiences. And follow me on Twitter at 20foot and visit 20footradius.blogspot.com for your weekly dose of D&D encounters. That's 20footradius20ftradius.blogspot.com. Until then, have a blast.